0: continuing uh, the series that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, this I am getting to know Jesus in his own words. And we've been seeking to look at some of the things Jesus said about himself uh, in order to know him more fully. Uh, And so there have been seven phrases in particular uh, that we've sought to look at, all in the same book, all in the Gospel of John in the Bible. So it's one uh, kind of historical life story, biographical account of the life of Jesus, Uh, and there are seven statements that Jesus made about himself that all began uh, with this phrase, I am, and he declared all kinds of things about himself. And so over the last weeks, uh, we've heard him say, I am the bread of life, or I am the light of the world, uh, or I am the resurrection and the life which we looked at last week, and, and now we are coming in to the very end uh, of these sayings and this series, and also uh, John's gospel account, this eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. We're into the last few chapters uh, of John, uh, and we're into to nearly the end of this series, and the verses we come to today are unlike most of the verses that we've read uh, in the rest of this series in that most of the statements that Jesus made about himself, these I am statements, he made them publicly, with people there who believed in him, and people there who were dead against him and were trying to find a way to kill him. Uh, And he made these declarations about himself to this kind of mixed crowd. But these words that we read today were, were said to a smaller more select group of people, were said just to his closest friends and followers, his disciples. But the fact that they were said behind closed doors doesn't mean there's nothing for us there. Actually, there's a a great amount for us to learn uh, as we read these words. And so it's important, though, that we remember who they were initially addressed to um, in order to help us Kind of understand what Jesus is saying here and and to kind of get the meat out of it. These words were spoken to his closest friends and we're going to jump into the story. uh, On the last evening, Jesus spent with these closest friends before he was arrested, tried and crucified. We need to keep that context in mind as we read these verses today. See, for about three years, this, this group of men who were sat with Jesus as he said the words that we're going to read today, for about three years, they'd, they'd walked with him, followed him everywhere he went, shared their lives with him, ate together, observed him heal people and perform miracles, heard his teaching. He spoke with them as they walked along the road together. He taught them and corrected them and trained them and poured himself into, into them as they spent time with him these men were well acquainted with jesus they trusted him they'd entrusted their very lives to him they'd given up everything in order to follow him they'd given up their their livelihood of fishing they'd given up tax collectors they'd given up what they had been doing in order to spend their lives with jesus and over the last three years they'd followed him everywhere and they didn't know fully what was about to happen but jesus did and over the last few chapters we if you read through john's gospel you realize that jesus has been warning them he's been telling them he's been giving them a heads up about what's coming he's telling them that he was going to go away somewhere you think but we've given up everything to follow you what do you mean you're going away he'd also clearly stated when we read that Those verses, I am the good shepherd, when Jesus said that, in those verses as we read, he said there, he said that he was going to lay his life down for his sheep. That he was going to die for his people. But they didn't really understand what he was telling them. And now in this moment, just before going to be arrested, tried and crucified, Knowing that his disciples, these men who'd given up everything to follow him and to be with him, would be confused and scared as he was arrested in the garden. Would be terrified at what might happen as he stood on trial and was led to the cross. Would be utterly perplexed and distraught as they saw their saviour hanging, crucified on a tree. These men who'd spent three years following him around, hearing his teaching, watching him perform miracles, just utterly distraught, not knowing what to make of what had just happened. Jesus knew that was going to happen. So what message did he leave them with? What message did Jesus want to leave them with as they... We're about to walk into this bleak, difficult, confusing, challenging, beyond we can imagine set of circumstances. What was it about himself and the implications of who he was for them that he wanted them to know and remember as he went to the cross? knowing that they were going to face this deep and dark trial, that they would walk through the depths of despair, what words of comfort would Jesus speak to these dear friends? Well, let's find out. We're going to read from John chapter 14. Uh, We'll read from verse 1 through to 19. It'll be up on the screen. But if you do have a Bible, I'd encourage you to, to pick it up and read with us. So having told them that he's going away having tried to give them a heads up on what's going on. Jesus says this to them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you i will not leave you as orphans i will come to you before long the world will not see me anymore but you will see me because i live you will also live i'm going to pray quickly and then we'll dig into these verses together lord we do thank you for your word Jesus, I thank you for your deep care and concern for all that you've made. Lord, I thank you for the, the, just these words of compassion and care that you spoke to your followers on that night before you were arrested. And Lord, I thank you that they're recorded for us, that we might in them find comfort whatever situation we're facing today. Lord, I pray that we would see you and know you As we seek to understand your word today, would you speak it into our hearts? Would you bring comfort where we need comfort? Would you bring challenge where we need challenge? But Lord, would you draw us close to you for your glory? Amen. So what does Jesus say to these dear friends? And in turn to you. The headline is this. He says, do not... Let your heart be troubled. Jesus has told them he's going away, that he won't walk with them any longer as a man, that they're going to face challenge and difficulty in the immediate but in the longer term too. The prospect of facing opposition with Jesus physically present with them, which they've already endured and walked through, was one thing. Like, Jesus is here. Like, this is, you know... It might not be very comfortable, but when people say outrageous things or reject Jesus' followers, well, Jesus is here. But what did he say to them to steady and reassure them for the trials that they would face without him physically present? I think it's really important that we know because it's the same thing he would say to you today. Do not let your heart be troubled. Now, you might hear that and you think, well, it's all very well to say, you know, do not let your heart be troubled. sounds nice, doesn't it? But you don't know what's going on for me. Maybe you're even thinking that right now. You're like, Owen, it's all very well for you to say this afternoon, do not let your heart be troubled. But you have no idea what we're facing. But this is the great thing. Jesus doesn't just say, do not let your heart be troubled and then leave it there. It's not some hollow or hopeless platitude. No, Jesus says it and then he arms his followers. And in turn, as we read his word, he arms and equips us with truth that will steady our hearts. He tells them where their hope comes from, what it's founded on. And he gives them and in turn us, a reason to hope. In the most bleak and difficult circumstance where your heart (laughs) may be inclined towards feeling weak and troubled. Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. And this is why we've got a series of things and we're going to unpack them today. So the first is this. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. And I'm paraphrasing, but I'll unpack it. Because you have an eternal hope. You have an eternal hope. Jesus starts on this point. He says, You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he slightly obscurely says, My Father's house has many rooms. He's talking about heaven. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back. And take you with me that you may also be where I am. The very first piece of armor Jesus gives to guard against troubled hearts is the very real future hope of eternity with him. Not just eternity, eternity, No, eternity with him. Heaven, eternity in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of the Father, in his Father's house. He's preparing a place and he's going to come back to take us. He says to his disciples, I am going, but I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come back to take you home, to bring you with me into the perfect presence of my Father forever." so that you might be where I am. This is really, really important. So being heavenly minded, having an eternal perspective, reminding ourselves consistently of the eternal hope that we have in Christ Jesus makes all the difference in our present trials and circumstances. This future hope is what brings us comfort and direction here, as well as strength and resolve to press on when life is difficult. You see, Jesus' disciples grasped it. They understood it. They understood it to the point that actually many of them gave up their lives in quite gruesome ways because they understood that this life wasn't it, but they had an eternal hope in Christ Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we read this, and this is really important. It says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we of all people are to be most pitied. In other words, if our hope as Christians is just about somehow making this life better in some way, then, well... We really deserve people to feel sorry for us because we're completely barking up the wrong tree. If our hope is not an eternal one, then ultimately it's a futile one. That's what the Bible teaches us. So If you think following Jesus is just some kind of like nice life modification for the next kind of 70, 80, 90 years, then you are sorely mistaken. If your hope as a Christian is not an eternal one, then ultimately it's a futile one but that doesn't mean we just kind of live like thinking out there somewhere and we're just completely useless in the day-to-day. Like We're constantly daydreaming about eternity and we, we kind of pay no attention to what's going on around us. It's C.S. Lewis, um, who many of you would have heard of, a famous author, a Christian, a great thinker. He wrote this in, in a book of his called Mere Christianity about, actually, how essential it is for Christians to have this eternal perspective. He wrote this, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. But it does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. In fact, if you read history, you will find the Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. You see, an eternal hope brings us security and confidence whatever we face. But it's also what equips us and fits us for mission here and now. Equips us to love others as we have been loved. To extend compassion to others as we have received compassion. and Ultimately, to point people towards Jesus. To find their hope in him as we do. It's grace for today and bright hope for tomorrow. But how will we get there, this eternal hope? How do we attain it? How do we step into it? Thomas wants to know. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, instead of restating what he'd already said, It's funny, isn't it, actually? He's already said, I'll come and take you. I don't know if you noticed that. He said, I'll go and prepare a place for you, and I'll come back and take you there. And then Thomas is like, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to get there? And you think Jesus could have said, Thomas, I think you weren't paying attention. I already said, I'll come and take you there. But instead of saying that, he actually responds in the most remarkable way, and he says this. Jesus answered, I am the way. In other words, don't let your heart be troubled because if you know Jesus, you know the way. He doesn't say, you'll work it out or even I'll show you the way or I'll send some step-by-step instructions and directions so you can get there. Instead, Jesus declares himself to be the way, the only way. Many people have claimed to have found the way. To have found a way to fulfilment or enlightenment or happiness or satisfaction or peace. Many people claim to have found the way to those things. But Jesus said, Believe in me, follow me, know me. I am the way. There is no other way to the Father. Many people will seek to tell you that there are many ways to heaven. But Jesus said to the contrary. (laughs) The word the (laughs) is very exclusive. He didn't say, I am a way said, I am the way, the only way. The only way to real comfort, real peace is found in trusting in him, in knowing him. So I want us to remember a couple of weeks ago as we looked at the, the good shepherd. Because I don't want to give anyone false comfort. And that might sound harsh, but see, Jesus brings these words of comfort. He says, don't let your heart be troubled because I'm preparing a way for you and I am the way. But you remember a few weeks ago when we looked at the Good Shepherd, he said very starkly to those who didn't believe in him, who didn't trust in him, who weren't seeking to follow him, he said to them that he was going as well then. And they were a little bit confused. And he said, you can't follow me where I'm going. You can't come with me because you don't believe. But his response to Thomas is very different. He says, you know me. You know the way. You follow me. You're coming too. See, Jesus won't and doesn't bring false hope. And I won't either today Jesus is very clear consistently through all his teaching in scripture that this eternal hope this comfort that stills our troubled hearts is belief in him and in him alone and trust in him and him alone to save us now that might sound stark or even harsh but the words Jesus speaks in this passage to these men. Notice I said it was to his closest friends that he spoke these words of comfort, not a general word to crowds of people, some who believed and some didn't. And that's because these are not general words of comfort. These words to not let your heart be troubled and the reason for that are not general words of comfort to all mankind, they're specific. They're words of comfort to those who hope in Christ. If you have not put your trust in Jesus to save you, then there is no comfort in these words. In fact, actually, Jesus says, you can't come where I'm going. But if you turn to him and trust in him, you put your hope in him to forgive you, to save you, then there is hope, then there is comfort, and he says to you, I am the way, and I'll come back and take you to be with me in the presence of the Father forever. But that's not all. It carries on. Why else should our hearts, as we hope in him, not be troubled whatever circumstances we face where he says, don't let your heart be troubled because in Jesus you know the truth. He carries on. He says, I am the way and the truth. Again, Jesus says he is the truth not a truth not some truth not a a partial revelation of truth but that he is the truth that perfect complete truth is found in him he is the standard of living in the truth of living in the light of living as god intended people to live so people will tell you that truth is relative That the teaching of the Bible is just some nice kind of moral suggestions. But the only enduring answer for your troubled heart, the only enduring answer for your troubled heart is to know and live in the good of Jesus, the truth to surrender to and find freedom in his life and his teaching. Don't ever lose sight of him. We carry on. Why else should our hearts not be troubled? Jesus is the way. He's the truth. And he also says that he's the life. Do not let your hearts be troubled because if you know Jesus, you know the life. In saying, I am the life, Jesus is declaring that he is the source of all life and the only one in whom life, true life, is found. In John 10, 17 to 18, which we looked at a few weeks ago, as Jesus said he was the good shepherd, he declared that he was going to lay down his life for his sheep, And then take it back up again. That he had authority over life and death. And a few verses after this here, as he declares himself to be the life, he speaks another word of promise to those who trust in him, to his disciples. He says this in 14 verse 19, is because I live, you also will live. See, when Jesus conquered death, when he rose again, that we celebrate on Easter Sunday, he defeated death. He defeated the grave. It's the greatest victory of all time. The, these disciples who were following Jesus, who'd been living with him, walking with him, hearing his teaching, observing his life, they and the other Jews actually thought that Jesus was going to bring some kind of like political, social, economic freedom from the oppression of, uh, of the Roman rule over them. These Jews were living under Roman rule. They were an occupied people. And they were looking for a Messiah, for a rescuer, who was going to bring political freedom. Who was going to overthrow the Romans and bring them freedom and lead them into their own lands, not ruled or governed by anyone else. They were looking for that kind of freedom. And actually, we often long for this kind of freedom. Believing it will satisfy us in some way. We think that if the right people are in power. How often do you think like that when there's an election? Like think like if the right person, and the right person happens to be the one that you're voting for. If the right person gets in, then everything will be okay. Maybe you're all more cynical than that. I don't know. (laughs) We tend to think if the right people were in power. Or if we had the right job to create the right economic circumstances for us. Or if we lived in the right place away from those neighbours that are really frustrating and difficult and noisy. Or whatever it might be. We tend to think if these circumstances could just change, that would bring me the freedom that I need. That would satisfy me. But actually, Jesus came to bring an altogether better deliverance than anything like that. He didn't come to promise us the the right job or the right political leaders or the right economic circumstances or any of those things. But what he promised and what he gives words of comfort with here is an altogether better deliverance it's deliverance from the ultimate enemy from death itself in jesus the author of life death has been defeated he doesn't say let your heart don't let your heart be troubled because i've come to bring deliverance from political or social or economic oppression no he says don't let your heart be troubled Because I've come to deliver you from death itself, to give you life itself for all eternity. This is awesome. I don't know what kind of deliverance you're looking for, but this is the very best kind. Let's move on. What else? There are so many reasons that our hearts should not be troubled whatever we're facing. We have an amazing hope in Jesus. He carries on. He says, do not let your heart be troubled because he hears your prayers. He hears your prayers. He says this, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, pause. Lots of people have taken this verse and used it to mean all sorts of things that it doesn't. And they make it say, well, this says, if I just declare it in the name of Jesus, then God will give me my private jet. In the name of Jesus, I declare it and God will give me my mansion or whatever other thing it is that you want. That isn't what he means at all. But it is kind of difficult because it seems like that's what it says, yeah? So we kind of read it in the English and we read it just on its own and we go, hey, that sounds like a pretty good proof text. I'm going to go for that. Whatever you ask, I'll do it. Woo! (laughs) Well... Jesus isn't declaring himself to be some kind of cosmic genie or like magic slot machine or other such things. No. What does it mean then to to ask in his name? Does it just mean saying in the name of Jesus when we pray? No. It means asking on his reputation. Asking in line with his character and his will. Now just think for a minute. He said it first to these men who'd walked with him, who'd observed him up close, who'd heard him pray and talk with his father in heaven, who knew him well. What, what was consistent with his character? What would he ask his father for? What would he do? That if you ask in consistent keeping, with my will, and my character, and who I am, then I'll answer. Just to help us understand it, this may or may not help. I don't know if you, like we sometimes watch period dramas in our house. We quite like period dramas. Uh, But they sometimes give you an insight into how things used to be, and how things aren't, really. (laughs) And one of the, the kind of quirks that can help us understand this, is shops. You can probably still do the same kind of thing in some shops today, but in certain shops, you would have an account. And the, the lord of the manor or whoever may have an account with this shop. And people within his household were empowered to go and get things from the shop on his account. But the shopkeeper would know what kind of thing he was after. It would be consistent with who he was and what he was doing. It would be consistent with his purchasing history too. So if, I don't know, if the housekeeper went in and asked for something completely out of keeping, completely out of kilter with what they would buy on their account, then the shopkeeper would say, no, (laughs) that's not what this account's for. That's not what your master would have sent you here for. No. And that picture maybe kind of helps us in a little way understand that when we come, we don't just ask for whatever we fancy, but we come and Jesus is saying, we pray and ask in keeping with His account, as it were. We come and pray and ask in keeping with his character, with who he is. So when you pray and you ask for his will to be done in a situation, do you know what? He's always going to go, yes. (laughs) And his will will be done. Sometimes we presume to to know what his will is and you know what we don't always get the answer we're expecting his motivation in answering too is interesting jesus is very clear what's his motivation in answering our prayer when we come and we ask in accordance with his will when we come and ask in keeping with who he is what's his motivation in answering and it being done can answer if you like what does he say it's right here what's what does he say his motivation is so that yeah it's the glory of god see the motivation of jesus in answering our prayer is nothing other than the glory of god that people would marvel at would wonder at would would glory in just how good he is It's for the glory of the Father. But we can know that when our hearts are troubled, we can come to one who hears and answers our prayer. Why else should we not let our hearts be troubled? Well, we're going to conclude with this. There's so much we could get out of this passage, but he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because he sent his spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to dwell with us. Not, not just as an observer, but as a helper. As one who would come alongside and would comfort and would help us in our time of trouble. There's this in verse 16 on, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live in you. You will also live. Jesus poured out his spirit. Willingly, gladly. He gives his spirit to those who believe in him, who trust in him and follow him, the the spirit of truth. He didn't leave them, ultimately. This was great comfort. He said he was going away. He said, I'm going away, but I'm going to send my spirit to dwell with you, to dwell in you, to help you. He didn't leave them, and he hasn't left us. Jesus is present with his people today by his spirit. Whatever you face, whatever's going on for you right now, do not let your heart be troubled because you're not facing it alone. Jesus is present by his spirit. He's with you now and he will be with you always, not as an observer but as a helper, we read in God's word that we are to go on being filled by his spirit. That we to continually be being filled by his spirit. And we need to finish. But some of you today, in your circumstance, your heart is troubled. You're looking at it and you're like, I just feel overwhelmed. And you need to know, again, a feeling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of comfort, strengthening you, equipping you, comforting you. Whatever you're facing today, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life says, do not let your heart be troubled. So how are we to respond? There's a couple of things. Firstly, there's this. We receive comfort in Jesus as those who hope in him, who trust in him. He says, whatever you're facing, whatever struggle, whatever challenge, whatever sickness, whatever set of circumstances, whatever situation you're faced with, do not let your heart be troubled, but find peace and hope in him. We receive comfort. But we don't just sit on that. Remember I said earlier, those who live in the good of this hope are actually those who are of most use in this world. And we read about this in Second Corinthians chapter 1. Paul writes this. And this I want us to hold on to today. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ we receive comfort that we might offer comfort to others ultimately that we offer out the comfort of hope in Christ Jesus but also that we offer comfort in their difficulties and their circumstances we offer help we comfort with the comfort that we've received in Christ Jesus.